Rugby World Cup podcast. G'day everyone, it's Tony Harper, editor of theraw.com.au and I'm sitting high up in Olympic Lyonnais Stadium, OL Stadium, where I've just been sitting next to Christy Doran, our rugby editor, and watching a quite phenomenal performance by the All Blacks. Uh, they have just smashed Italy 96-17. To put it into some context, it's an Italian team that pretty much was the team that Dave Rennie's team, Wallaby's side, lost to by a point less than a year ago. Christy, what did you make of that tonight? Let me tell you, that's probably, if you if you look back at why Eddie Jones is the coach right now for the Wallabies and how much longer we'll find out in the coming months, but it was the defeat against Italy last year in, in Florence where, where Dave Rennie's career was on tenderhooks. It was pretty much over right then, an embarrassing first up historic loss. And then you witness an all-black side like tonight that almost puts up a century. And it was 24 years ago that New Zealand beat Italy 101-3 to at Huddersfield in England. And tonight, 96-17, they could have hit the century themselves, if not just for a couple of mistakes. Monte Ioane scores a try right at the end. A nice finish there for the former Melbourne Rebels winger. But wow, what a statement tonight. We'll come back a bit later to the All Blacks and, and go in a little bit more depth on them. But first, earlier today, uh, we had the Australian press conference, another Eddie Jones um, press conference where he was grilled on the situation with the Japan job plus his selections for the weekend against Portugal. Before we go there, though, uh, just a nice note from the Portuguese press conference today. Their coach, Patrick Lassique, was asked about their prospects on the weekend. Uh, he said, it's incredible. I'm sure you would never have asked this at the beginning of the competition. Now everybody is asking. Can you guess the question he was being asked, Christy? What is, is uh, are the Wallabies, are they ripe for the picking, are they? Uh, well, I mean, it just seems really, really strange, doesn't it, that uh, we're going into that. And the coach made the same point, that it's a question nobody would have asked at the start of no the No one would have dreamt it. No, no. but now he's being asked, can they beat the Wallabies on the weekend? Um, look, the team that the Wallabies have selected today, and I'll get you to go through the changes in that in a second, that should have enough, though, for Portugal, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> if, if it doesn't, the Portuguese chicken that Hamish McLennan and Eddie Jones shared <clears throat> back in July 2022, which started the uh, the Eddie kind of bring him home to Australia, that, that might be the last meal that he has, I'll tell you. Um, Three changes to the Wallabies. So Eddie, Eddie has made three changes to the starting 15. Uh, we've revealed that on the Raw on, on Thursday. Uh, one change to the forward pack. Fraser McWright in it at open side flanker, which sees Tom Hooper shift back to blindside and, and a shift in the midfield. You've got Lalakai Fiketti at inside centre and he's his New South Wales teammate, Izzy Parisi, who will make his World Cup debut by starting outside centre. The first time he'll start there in a gold jersey, he's obviously worn that jersey a, a number of times for New South Wales over the last couple of seasons. Is it a little harsh on Samu Karevi, do we think? Well, well it was interesting today that that Eddie Jones was, uh, he, he essentially said that he had been dropped because he'd been struggling off the back of an ACL injury last year for Australia in the Commonwealth Games uh, in the Rugby Sevens. Uh, a couple of hamstring injuries over the last couple of months delayed his his progress leading into the Rugby Championship. He, of course, didn't train as much as he would have liked. But he 
And we're at the same venue that we witnessed a week ago when Australia struggled and got smashed by Wales in the most humbling defeat, 40 points to six it was less than a week ago. And Karevi didn't have that offloading ability. He still trucked it up, but he wasn't able to 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 dent the line that he had done for the previous couple of years. And and that struggle without Will Skelton and Taniela Tupo had been really crucial. Well, he really needed somebody to stand up, didn't he? Is he one of the guys who's let him down? Like he has had... I mean, it's a pretty poor campaign by his high standards. I think that's fractionally harsh, only in the fact that there were very few ball-carrying options. Rob Valentini, he was once again going to start. He's, I think he's the only Wallaby that started in every test for Australia this year. That says, he and Dave Parecki, that says a lot about Valentini. The amount of physical toll that he's put his body through, but he's asked to front up, and Karevi has been as well since he made his return uh, he struggled. He hasn't been at his peak of his powers. And you compare that to guys like Jonathan Dante in France and Bundyaki in and, uh, Ireland and even tonight with Geordie Barrett. It is so crucial to have both a ball-carrying 12, but someone who can free up his men out wide. Karevi hasn't done that. You haven't seen the ball go beyond the centres, and that's been a, a big struggle. Jordan Bataille has also been left out, uh, a calf injury. Uh, but I think he would have been right. I think that's also just freeing a, a new centres pairing up. How do you feel this centres pairing will show in, in this match? Like, I mean, they haven't, you know, haven't worked together at test level for a while. Do you think, uh, you know, it's going to make an impact this time? Well, the last time that this midfield pairing would have combined was back in June when New South Wales were, were smashed by the Blues in Auckland. Uh, the benefit is that they've got Ben Donaldson at, at 10 at fly half. They've got Mark Norling in Eduardo out in the right wing. And and so it's an unchanged back three. Andrew Kellaway's calming influence should be a, a positive for the Wallabies. But they'll want to make a fast start because uh, there will be some nervy characters within that, that side. It's an extremely inexperienced bench. In total, there's only two players with more than 40 tests, James Slipper and Marika Korobetti. That tells you how much experience has been stripped out of the side over the last two months. And, and let's be honest, it could all be academic because if Fiji wins with a bonus point 24 hours beforehand, then Australia really, they're going through the motions anyway, correct? Yeah, so so to to to, to work out all the mathematical permutations, there's a fair bit to be done. But if if, if Fiji get five points out of 10, uh, over the next two tests, they'll they'll progress. Uh, you would imagine that they will beat Georgia. If they don't, you imagine that they'll come away with a point. And then to to go down against Portugal a week later is almost unthinkable at this point, given how clinical they were against Australia, taking points on offer, but also how much ball, how much rugby they played against Wales, where they probably should have beat the Welsh as well, a couple of balls that they knocked on over the line. Uh, they've got points in them, and that's a concern for Eddie Jones' side. A couple of other notes from the team selection today. James Slipper is going to break George Gregan's record of 21 World Cup games. Uh, also, no Nick White. He's not on the bench either. Is it conceivable his test career is, you know, could be over from here? Well, I, I dare say our raw colleague, Brett Mackay, won't be particularly happy if you would even mention that. But it, it d- does leave his international career uh, up in the air, Samu Karevi as well. Of course, he's based overseas. What happens with Will Skelton beyond this campaign? We don't know either. He's based in La Rochelle. I, I know that Rugby Australia are desperate to try to bring Will Skelton back. He's only, I think, 31. He's a guy that's a household name. 
whether or not we see him again in a gold jersey, I do hope so. But to bring it back to Nick White, he signed with the Western Force for a couple of seasons. He's desperate to play a part in Australian rugby, uh, perhaps even the British and Irish Lions in 2025. I would imagine that Eddie will want to look forward to both an Isaac Fiennes, Leila Uasa, but Tate McDermott, there's Ryan Lonigan as well. There's, there's, there's some good young emerging nines, Teddy Wilson at the Waratahs. Uh, but yeah, you, I saw Nick White on on Wednesday at training, on Thursday at training, at, and you could tell that Whitey wasn't particularly happy. He, he was a bit more stern, um, and that probably showed you all you needed to know. He's disappointed, I would imagine, that he's not taking part in this one. Look, there can't be anybody happy within this camp at all, though, right? And like we've heard this week from Pierre Hon- Henry uh, Broncan, I, I messed that name up. I'm sure you could have a better stab at that one. Uh, not the first or last name I'm going to mess up as well, Christy. Uh, but he had some particularly harsh words to say about how the team has dealt or failed to deal with pressure here. And and we spoke to Dave Parecki today. He seemed to brush that off. Eddie Jones agreed with him. But the idea that a lack of uh, hard games at Super Rugby level has really kind of impacted what's happened when they've got into this furnace of an arena at, t- at World Cup level. I completely agree with what Pierre Henry said. And you you look at the failure of skills under pressure over the last two weeks, but particularly against Wales, where kicks once again went out in the full from restarts. The scrum was on roller skates. The line out mess uh, midway through the first half after turning down three points. The decision not even to take three points. Test match rugby, it's all about building scoreboard pressure. You asked Matt Burke how the 99 World Cup was won. It was built off the back of sustained pressure, 3, 6, 9, 12, et cetera. Australia showed a complete immaturity of understanding how to win Test Match Rugby, and that's a failure from top to bottom, but also from from the coaching team, the lack of experience. And I agree because you look at what's happening in Europe at the moment. France, Ireland, South Africa, and now part of the URC and the, and the European Championship Cup, they routinely play in big pressured competitions, knockout rugby, quarters, semi-finals, whereas half the time Australia is only playing 12, 13, 14 games super rugby. They barely play a semi-final because the sides aren't good enough. And then for the other big games, like against the Crusaders or the Blues, you have examples of what we heard yesterday where Lalakai Fagetti and other players don't even play because they're rested because of the ridiculous resting policy that Australian rugby adopted from New Zealand because those New Zealand Super Rugby sides are often featuring deep into a Super Rugby comp on the eve of a rugby championship. Look, there's so many things have gone wrong so far with this campaign and we've got about 20 minutes here, so we're not going to really scratch the surface and that will that will come up later and we'll be writing so, uh, plenty of inquests into that. But al- along with, you know, the pressure issue is the leadership issue for me. They've gone in without really strong leadership. I mean, yes, Will Skelton has been injured and that that has been an unfortunate aspect. Eddie has been unlucky um, with some of those injuries as well. But there just seems to be, to me, too many leaders. We found out this week that there's a group of leaders beneath the leaders, a, a subgroup of emerging leaders that Eddie has named the Trojans, which uh, I'm, I'm kind of uh, unsure where that name comes from. I I think it was a brand of condom, but it's also malware, a virus that gets in and infects the uh, 
you know, the the main computer. So I'm not sure where, where he's going again with that that naming. But this idea that the leadership's spread out, you've got three layers of of players, and then you get a situation where I, I just don't see a team that understands completely how it's being led. Now, Eddie stood there today and said he takes responsibility. And again, Eddie was full of con- contradictions today. Uh, responsibility on the one hand, but then it's not about me on the other. I mean, do you think that they've got this right? Uh, I don't think they've got a lot right, but if they got this aspect of it right. Well, you go back to the announcement of the Rugby Championship squad and, and Eddie Jones spoke about it being a powerful force that they'd had co-captains, Michael Hooper at the time, James Slipper, and he and he based it, he said, look, it wasn't long ago that it went down to Sydney Swans training and John Langmire had spoken and the playing group had spoken about leadership where they had had multiple different leaders throughout the previous AFL season where a young side had gone all the way to the final, got smashed in the in the big dance at the MCG. But the idea of embracing leadership that everyone needs to, to pick up the slack. And Eddie Jones had spoken a lot this year about he perceived that there weren't enough leaders in Australian rugby. And perhaps he based that statement off the fact that Michael Hooper had been the captain for such a long time, the most capped Wallabies captain of all time, yet – there, there seemed like there was uh, very few leaders emerging across the entire rugby landscape, and that's probably for a number of reasons, including uh, the the departure of several players up to Japan and elsewhere. But I tend to agree that where does this buck stop? Because if you look across both the team, the coaching staff, there's so much movement that a bit of stability probably would have been really helpful in a campaign where it's been just drama and injuries, and, and you're right, it, he hasn't been helped because you think about the injuries to Alan Alatoa, he would have been here in France had he not been injured. Will Skelton, obviously. The, the loss of him and, and Tanila Tupo were, you can't understate how important uh, and how crushing those blows were. And you made it the comment as well, uh, the day after Skelton was injured in the eve of the uh, the match against Fiji, Eddie Jones looked completely devastated, more devastated and downcast that he's looked this entire campaign at his team announcement. And and really, it's probably because he knew that Skelton and Tupo, his two giant weapons, weren't going to play another match in this World Cup campaign. Yeah, well, let's get it straight. It's also a massive failing, in in my opinion, from Eddie himself. I mean, the, the way he's kind of conducted himself, and you talk about that devastation, Today, he was just like he'd given up in at times there. It was really weird. He compared leading the team or he compared his team to being the dad of some three and four-year-olds and wanting to protect them. Um, and he also said, that, you know, it's really not about me. It's a, about the team at the same stage. And like what he's done, I think over the past few, well, since the story broke around the reports tying him to Japan, he had a really good chance to come out there and just put it to rest, be straight up, be honest about it, be firm. He has just let that go and go and go. And today, you know, he's done an interview back home that didn't really clear it up. In the press conference today, the journalist who wrote that story, he's been uh, hammering him constantly on this point. Today, he came out and said, oh, no, I haven't had an interview with them. It's just confusing. It must Cause you know if if he's got a bunch of three and four year olds that he's in charge of, they must be wondering what the hell daddy's up to. 
<laughs> it, it does sound like a mess though doesn't it we've been watching it we've been right on the on the ground and seeing what's going on look it's got to be first of all said that this uh, report hasn't been necessarily confirmed yet in terms of what is happening with eddie jones that's probably the first thing we've got to say it, it could well prove to be the case that sure, he, but there's no denial like there's no. no outright strong denial from the man and eddie is for years and decades had ties strong ties to japanese rugby where administrations from both england australia and elsewhere have allowed for eddie jones to run his own race essentially you know his ties with suntory the fact that he's been able to be uh, an advisor for them um you know he, he was giving advice to guys like Bowden Barrett, et cetera, at Suntory, who end up potentially knocking England out of World Cups. And all of a sudden, you've got the England head coach perhaps sharing all that intellectual property with an opponent. Uh, he is contra- he's been a contradiction his entire rugby international career. Uh, that's not going to change anytime soon. He, he was given a long leash and he's taken it, hasn't he? And the next 48 hours before the game is going to be crucial. Australia Australia need to win this game, firstly, to wrestle back some form of respect against Portugal. But but it was a shame that for the first time in a long while, going to a team announcement, the team was secondary today because not only are they on the cusp of a first World Cup full exit, but secondly, the fact that that it was all about Eddie when he said that, I don't want to make it about Eddie, was was such a contradiction as you talk about. Rugby World Cup on the Raw. The Raw Rugby Podcast through the World Cup has been powered by ASICS, the official supplier of the Wallabies team gear here at the World Cup. You can jump onto asics.com.au to check out their range, and we are so grateful to have partnered with them during this World Cup. Uh, the Essex jersey might be going home soon. The All Blacks <laughs> jersey, though, appears to be marching on Strongly, Christy, what did you make of tonight's game? Well, we are just about the last people here sitting up, not quite in the nosebleeds. They pretty much are, but it's not a bad seat in the house here. Uh, Look, they were impressive tonight, and I thought that they would be, knowing that if they lost tonight, they were quite possibly going home and joining probably Australia by exiting the full stage. Uh, That just never looked like occurring because they were clinical, they were precise, they were ferocious. The power of Shannon Frizzell and Nepal Lalala, Artis Sevilla's work rate, you just saw him carrying the ball and you knew that nothing was going to stop New Zealand tonight. But there was the return of Geordie Barrett was so crucial tonight with both on both sides of the ball. He was superb. A, a lovely cross-field kick to begin the show for Will Jordan. Wow, what a ball. Yeah. yeah. And he, what a touchdown too, the way he got that ball down under that pressure. He finished spectacularly. And that was the night. It was just clinical. Aaron Smith, a, a triple, a, a hat-trick in he the first half. He loved it, doesn't he? How oh. much does he love a meat pie? He is just quality. And and I loved listening to uh, hearing everyone in the pre-game with all the names being announced. And there was a few names in particular that the crowd really got behind. Yeah. Artie Sevilla, yeah. Aaron Smith, uh, Bowden Barrett, and Ange Capuzzo. And it was lovely to see him finish in the same corner as as uh, as, as Will Jordan. And uh, look, there were some special performances tonight from New Zealand. They definitely had a bit of March of the Zombies going on there, didn't they? Relentless. So speaking of which, Ireland, would they be uh, pooping their pants right now watching that? We probably didn't get the dream quarterfinal with Australia and England. You never know. There could be a late twist and turn there. But 
New Zealand Ireland after what was an epic series in 2022 with Ireland coming from behind to win 2-1. They've had the better of them over the last five, six years. This is a Ireland have to firstly beat Scotland in Paris next weekend. That's not going to be an easy thing. And and France, they should be too strong for Italy. That would set up New Zealand Ireland in a quarterfinal. Wow, that would be an epic match. David Nusifor and Andy Farrell's kind of, particularly David Nusifor's legacy on the line. Clearly, Ireland are world number ones. They've they've been so good, so consistent, but they haven't gone past a quarterfinal. That's the big bogey. Can they get past it? If they do and beat New Zealand, that will be a, a brilliant statement for Irish rugby. Centralisation, everything that Rugby Australia is trying to inject into their own system about alignment, uh, about high performance, about bringing it all together and working as a team of us, which is their kind of catchphrase. I'm so excited to hear you excited because Australia might be going home and this tournament's rolling on. And one last thing to say from me, and it's go Georgia. <laughs> well, yeah, I think go Georgia, but Simon Rowell, Louise Fijians, if they get up <laughs> tomorrow, that would be brilliant. Uh, there, there's been a lot of really great things to get behind in this campaign. and and. Look, it all happens this weekend. It's just the first night, really, isn't it? Friday night here. We're bringing down the lights, and I can't wait for the next 48 hours. And we're getting thrown out of the media box here right now, so we better pack up our stuff and head off, and we'll see you uh, in probably sometime next week. Uh, Brett and Harry, of course, will be back with the instant reaction. I hope for Brett's sake he gets a win on the weekend because he, <laughs> he needs one, doesn't he? Oh, I think Australia needs one. <laughs> on that note, thank you. Cheers. Bye. 